Bulletins. And if you were looking at it uh, someplace other than the screen, you would see that it's set apart. And we think this was really something Paul is quoting. This is probably an early hymn of the church. And therefore, it is a reflection of the church's early theology. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For in Him all things in heaven and on earth were created. Things visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or powers, all things have been created through Him and for Him. He Himself is before all things, and in Him all things hold together. He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead so that He might come to have first place in everything. For in Him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through Him God was pleased to reconcile to Himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, by making peace through His blood on the cross. This is the word of the Lord. Over the past 12 years, you know, a decade or a little more, we have had a whole series of events that make us wonder if there's ever been a time when there's been peace. We have been a nation perpetually at war. You know that. I think back to 9-11 and those days, and I wonder how long does it take before events that we live through become just a part of history instead of still so fresh. And the only comparison I could think of was, well, what about Pearl Harbor? Uh, again, a momentous event that took us into war. And I realized that there are some people who were there that day for whom it is the past. But there are still people alive today for whom Pearl Harbor is as real as if it were yesterday. And that's 72 years. So maybe it literally takes a lifetime for some things to pass into history. The world we thought we knew really doesn't exist. And that brought it to our minds in a way that perhaps we had not seen before. But it's not just this quote, so-called war on terror. We have entered into perhaps one of the most violent times in the nation's history. And I only need to say a few names for you to know exactly what I mean. The Navy Yard in Washington. Sandy Hook. A U.S. Congresswoman who's almost shot to death from Arizona. And I don't see it getting better. And I don't see it getting better because, frankly, the folks in authority can't agree on the color of paint, let alone what to do about violence. Most people, and I confess, I do this too, I think about peace as being the absence of war. And that is a part of the definition. Of course it is. But in reality, that's only a small part of a biblical definition. I want to contend that real peace is something that neither terrorists nor crime, nor violent acts can take away. And they cannot overthrow it. Perhaps that is the most misused word in our language. It's the biblical word, shalom, in Hebrew. 
But peace in the Bible is a strong, active word. It's never about sitting back and waiting for something positive to happen. Jesus said, blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called children of God. It's a strong, active word. And sometimes, frankly, we try to make it weak and passive. For most folk, peace means there's no active hostilities no tension or stress, but that's not necessarily shalom. Now, don't get me wrong. Anytime, even our truncated idea of peace when there is lack of violence is a good thing. Wish we had more of it. But again, that is not the real shalom that the Bible speaks of. However, God's peace, the one who comes as the Prince of Peace, Jesus Christ our Lord, doesn't talk about peace just as the absence of violence. Sometimes peace is found in the midst of great violence. So it's very true that we have to redefine what we mean when we talk about biblical peace. I know so often, and we even do this in the church, we talk about peace and immediately we start thinking about world peace. But world peace is a pretty complicated thing. It's a gigantic set of issues, and most of us feel pretty helpless to do anything about it. It's beyond our pay grade, as they say. We can pray, but there's not much else we know to do. That doesn't mean we shouldn't advocate for it. Of course we should. But before we throw up our hands in helpless despair, we need to ask, where does peace really begin? Because if we find that, maybe we can do something positive. Well, I want to say that peace begins, first of all, inside of me and inside of you when we begin to know that personal relationship with Jesus Christ that each one of us is supposed to have. Now, you say that won't have much impact on world peace, but it can have something to do with my own internal peace and therefore the peace that I have with the folks around me. And that's where all peace has to start. Now, honestly, I'm, I'm not real good at this. Um, I have a deeply passionate streak, and when I see evidence of injustice and evil, I want to strike out. That's just my personality. So peace is hard for me. Too often, I try to tell God what God needs to do instead of sitting back and letting God tell me what I'm supposed to be doing. And if I do that, I will not have any peace. The deep core issue I need to be reminded of over and over again, and maybe you do too, is that peace and even justice that we sometimes put with the word peace is not mine to create. Jesus Christ is the author of shalom, and it is He that brings us that peace with God. I want to think together this morning about Jesus as this author of peace. And the first thing I'd say is that he brings peace between us and God. That's a, a pretty hardcore Protestant idea. It's this idea that Jesus is the reconciler, the one that brings us back to God. We know that. We give that lip service. 
But the truth is we don't always like to acknowledge how deeply we need that form of peace. Because if you do, you've got to acknowledge that you're still very much wrapped up in your own sinful self. And let's face it, you know, we know it, but we don't like to say it, do we? But of course we are. And without our ability to recognize that and allow Christ to begin that reconciliation process between us and God, peace doesn't get started. The Apostle Paul either wrote or quotes, and I think it was probably a song, for in Him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. And through Him He, rec he reconciled all things on earth and in heaven, making peace by His blood on the cross. There was a man very depressed and down and doubting whether God existed or certainly whether God could love him. And he went into one of the great cathedrals in France and he heard the choir practicing. And the choir was singing, The Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And he was just enthralled. And he hears it to its end and gets up and walks out. And he said, Oh, my soul, if only, if only God could really do that. Well, God can. And when we come to this Lord's table on a World Communion Sunday, not only He can, but He does. I mean, what do we say in the sacrament? This is my body, Jesus says, broken for you. There is no sin, there is no guilt that cannot be forgiven or removed. How can He make it any plainer than that? And yet... And yet we struggle. The world says to us, you made your mistakes, you made your own bed, now lie in it. And God says, take up your bed and walk. Because you're forgiven. That's the difference. The one who is greater than the world can begin to create that connection for us. But I don't think that's enough. Because the second thing I would advocate is that Christ not only creates peace between us and God, but Christ begins to create peace within ourselves. The truth is, for many people, we're at a civil war inside ourselves. We don't quite know exactly what we're gonna, we want to do. We are always struggling with this or that in our own internal compass. And part of what the peace of God is, is helping us find peace inside ourselves. One person wrote this, Within my earthly temple there is a crowd, one that's humble, one that's proud, one that's brokenhearted for sin, one that is unrepentant and sits and grins. There's one who loves a neighbor as he loves himself. There's another who cares for nothing except fame and wealth. From much perplexing care, I would be free if only I could determine which one is really me. Recognize that? Even Paul recognizes that. Paraphrase. 
My own behavior baffles me, Paul says. The good that I would do, I do not, and the evil I would not do is exactly what I do. Well, you know, if Paul can feel that, you can too. And that's after he's reconciled with God. See, the truth is, being reconciled with God doesn't make you perfect. And that's why peace becomes an ongoing, daily living with God in Christ. Christ brings us that peace, but it's not instant. And in fact, it may never even quite be permanent, for we may know the peace today and feel like we've lost it tomorrow. But it is Christ who keeps restoring that peace in us by that connection within us. Okay, so it's a great thing to have peace with God, and it's a pretty great thing to have some peace inside our own psyche. But there's a third thing that Shalom really is here to do for us, and it's for us to, to begin to understand that the peace that I know through Christ now has to extend out to the folks around me. It's not enough for me to have peace if I'm not at peace with neighbors. Again, I think we find in this sacrament a solution to that problem. There is a very real and deep sense that we cannot be forgiven until we have forgiven. When we really realize God's forgiveness, we have to be people who turn around and forgive other people. And that's hard even in the context of the church. But Christ makes that possible. Makes it possible for us to really, truly forgive each other. Now, I'm very much aware that there are folks within the life of the church or in your workplace or in your community or anywhere else, that you don't especially like. That's just human nature. There are folks that just rub us the wrong way. Well, get over it. That's the way it is. But we can still know peace with those people when we remember that they too are sinners for whom Christ died. And it's only when we begin to recognize that in them that we start to know that peace out there in the world. How easy it is to live our lives as if we were the ones who had all the knowledge and all the skill and all those other people out there, well, they're just dunces. I know we act that way sometimes, don't we? But it's not true, of course. A man by the name of Louis Evans, he founded Fellowship of Christian Athletes, tells a story of a student who came to him one day and he says, I prayed last night the hardest prayer I have ever prayed. I prayed, Almighty God, may I never ask you to do for the world what I have never allowed you to do in me. All right, so let's think about that differently. 
O Christ, our peacemaker, may I never ask you to do for the world collectively what I have first not allowed you to do for me personally. You want world peace? Everybody does. Well, until we find that internal peace and are able to be peacemakers with each other, forget world peace. It's not going to happen until God changes us. One of the great things you learn in ministry, and you have to keep relearning it, that's just the way it is for clergy and it is for everybody else, I guess, is that I can't change anybody but me. And the chances are that if I've got a problem with you, it's because God needs me to change myself. And I suspect the same is true for you. If we can pray that sort of prayer and really mean it, maybe we can begin to find a little bit of that peace that we long for. So do we really want peace? That's the question. Well, if we do, this is where it starts. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit.